Welcome, podcast listeners. We are back for Podcast 5, and we have a barnstorming podcast tonight. We're going to be focusing on the later Crusades, a very popular uh, wargaming period, and we have an interview with the um, president of the Society of um, couple of things to say before we crack straight on. Um, all the supporting material will be found on the blog Gamer at the end of time.blogspot, and the URL for that is in the show notes. Um, also, all the material photos will be up there. An opportunity to have much more eye candy uh, as we progress and develop the podcast. Um, other thing I want to say. If uh, there is anything that you want to uh, say about the podcast, to request information or to uh, announce products or announce um, events, announce tournaments, please, please get hold of me, Ray Duggins, um, on Facebook or Richard Jeffrey Cook or Nick Galtrogger. We're very friendly and we want to hear from you and to improve the podcast. So, as usual, without further ado... No fuss. Here we go. The later crusade. So this is our fourth podcast about army lists. And obviously the other podcast we did was a special on the changes for 2021. Now, I know you're going to universal approval and interest in this podcast tonight because we are going to be looking at the crusades after the fourth crusade. So crusading armies and enemies after the, and including the fourth crusade. I don't even know if it's including the fourth crusade, but I'm sure the experts will tell me that. And uh, as always, you'll be glad to know that it's not me that's doing much of the talking. And tonight, Richard is going to lead. Um, but obviously we have our um, Arab army expert, Nick Horsemeister Galtrocker. So he will obviously be chipping in about the, uh, the Arab army. And uh, I did ask them before whether we call it uh, the Crusades. I said, you know, I'm, I'm sure the, uh, the people on the other side called it something else, something not quite as polite as Crusade. But uh, without further ado, we will crack on about the, but basically the later Crusader period in our wonderful Meg hobby. Thank you, Ray. So today we're going to look at the Crusades from 1204 onwards, which uh, corresponds to our earlier podcast about Byzantine armies after 1204. Um, so the Fourth Crusade was a bit of a non-event at least uh, because they didn't actually get within a thousand miles, Jerusalem, <laughs> uh, which was officially the target of the Fourth Crusade and they inadvertently conquered the Byzantine Empire instead. As you do. Um, <laughs> as you do. So um, the reason for the Fourth Crusade was actually that Jerusalem had uh, fallen after the defeat of the Battle of Hatton, and the Third Crusade had failed to capture Jerusalem. Uh, so uh, as a result, from about 1204, the Franks really control what's known as the Kingdom of Acre, which was really basically the cities of Jaffa, Asuf, Caesarea, Tyre, Sidon, Beirut, and some of the fortresses interior. Uh, along with this, they still controlled what was known as the County of Tripoli uh, to the north and beyond that, the Principality of Antioch. Uh, while on the other side, uh, after the death of Saladin, the Ayyubid Empire sort of uh, collapsed into civil war 
but was eventually reunited by Al-Adil, who was the brother of Saladin uh, in 1202. Now, the strategy of the Crusaders then became one of trying to capture Egypt, which was the um, centre of the Ayyubid Empire, rather than trying to retake Jerusalem directly. Um, and the first major attempt occurs in 1218, when the Fifth Crusade sails from Acre and lands at Damietta, which is a port at the mouth of the Nile. Um, they besieged Damietta from May 1218 till November 1219, a whole 18 months, until the city eventually fell from starvation. A pretty horrible siege on both sides, a lot of disease and just pretty nasty all round. Um, in 1221, they then set out to capture Cairo, um, but unfortunately they were defeated um, by the Sultan Al-Kamil, who uh, he had succeeded from al in 1218. So um, this basically set the Crusaders back to square one. Is that when they were caught on two sides of a river or something like that? Or I can't remember, my when they were defeated? <laughs> I think they overextended themselves. Yeah. And, uh, um, having been defeated, um, the, the uh, army tried to retreat back to Damietta, pretty much uh, annihilated in the process. Um, then, so the, the Fifth Crusade, um, officially, uh, Emperor Frederick of the Holy Roman Empire had, had promised to join the Crusade, but he actually never uh, left Europe at that time. Uh, and as a result, he actually got excommunicated by the Pope. Um, but uh, he arrived in the Middle East in 1228 to lead what is known as the Sixth Crusade. Um, he immediately basically upset all the nobles in the, what are known as the Outremer States, the Crusader State, by claiming the regency of the Kingdom of Jerusalem uh, in the name of his infant son. Uh, most of the Outremer states actually supported John, who uh, was of the Lusignan dynasty, I believe, and he was regent for Alice of Champagne and her son, who was Henry I of Bruce. All gets a bit complicated, um, but essentially you have the two ancient medieval dynasties squabbling over the who actually are rulers of Jerusalem. Uh, but squabbling wasn't only a crusader thing. The Ayyubids had also fallen the maps uh, to squabbling amongst themselves. And in fact, the presence of Frederick and his, his German knights seems to have been sufficient for the Ayyubids to basically agree a 10-year truce and conceding Jerusalem, Bethlehem and Nazareth to the crusaders as long as the uh, Islamic um, population still had rights to worship. Um, the Patriarch of Jerusalem actually refused to accept the treaty um, and while this was going on the Pope uh, who had, as I mentioned had executed Frederick he actually invaded Frederick's territories back in Italy um, so um, Frederick basically was forced to return back to uh, Europe and his, 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 he left in a pretty fashion because he was showered by, uh, with offal by the citizens of Acre. So not, not very um, kind treatment. <laughs> Somebody who's supposed to be supporting the Crusader cause. Not um, 
So, yeah, the, I mean, the Crusaders carry on with their disputes between Frederick's line and Henry's line. Um, in 1239, the truce with the Ayyubids expired, and you then get what's known as the Barons' Crusade, um, because various barons arrived from Europe and led an army which was actually defeated by uh, the Ayyubids at Gaza. That was November 1239. And as a result, Jerusalem fell once again to the Ayyubids, this time to a leader called Dawid. Um, but in 1241, they gave Jerusalem back to the Franks, uh, so it remained under Latin control. Um, this was gained because of the wars amongst the various Ayyubid leaders. So um, back to the sort of status quo, really. Um, the next crusade would be led by Louis IX. Uh, but that's in 1249, and Louis captures uh, Damietta, uh, again the port of the mouth of the Nile. Um, but then the Crusaders were again defeated by the Egyptians. Um, however, in the process of this campaign, the Egyptian Sultan was actually overthrown uh, by his Mamluk generals. And so you get the start of the Mamluk dynasty as opposed to the Ayyubid. Dynasty. I think it's worth saying that the, the, the progress of the Ninth Crusade is almost identical to the Fifth Crusade. They take Damietta, although the Ninth Crusade take it very easily due to different circumstances. Then there's a lot of dithering. Then they advance into Egypt and in this case get as far as a town called Mansura, um, which is on the other side of a canal that runs off. They spend months trying to get across this. <laughs> Um, and when some of them do, they get rather badly defeated. Um, one of Louis IX's brothers gets killed, and something like 280 out of the 300 Templars in the force are killed in the town. And then the, the crusade then retreats back to, tries to retreat back towards Damietta. It all goes horribly, horribly wrong. They're riddled by disease, and the remnants are then captured by... The, the Mamluks, and, and Louis IX actually has to um, ransom himself um, to get out. But the, the basic campaigns of the two are practically identical. If you look at a map of the, the movements of the armies, <laughs> which one's which? Yeah, but I mean, Egypt, if you're going to campaign in Egypt, you're sort of restricted to going up and down the, the Nile. Basically. Oh, oh, absolutely. You, the Nile will feature. It has to feature. But, but really, the, the, the progress of these two campaigns is remarkably similar. Um, although the, the Fifth Crusade actually stayed longer in Egypt than the Seventh. But it's, it, is, it is quite fascinating just how similar they are. Yes, it's, it's the Seventh Crusade, isn't it, rather than Ninth? Oh, sorry. Yes, the, yeah. my apologies. The, the, the alleged Ninth Crusade. <laughs> I'm not sure the ninth actually justifies the title. Sorry, anyway, Richard, back to you. Sorry, you were doing the history. Who's counting? <laughs> um, anyway, um, so, yeah, after, after the Seventh Crusade, um, we get new kids on the block arriving in the form of the Mongols. So um, this sort of changes the dynamics uh, in the Crusader lands. Uh, first off, the, the arrival of the Mongols is actually prefaced by the um, displacement of the Khwarezmi, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, who uh, were Arab, uh, well, I think they're Turks actually, but they were living in the Arab world to the east of um, the Ayyub 
bids. Um, and they, they arrived and sacked Baghdad in 1258. Um, and Aleppo and Damascus um, get uh, captured in 1260. And in effect, the Mongols have destroyed both the Abbasid Caliphate and the last of the Ayyubid states. Um, in the process, the Silesian Armenians, these are the Armenians living in sort of what's, I suppose, now southeastern Turkey, um, and the Principality of Antioch, they both submit to the Mongol, um, which probably was a fairly wise move. Uh, the Kingdom of Jerusalem doesn't, and in fact, it's only saved complete defeat when the uh, Mongol Khan, Monke Khan, he, um, he died. And as a result, the Mongol leaders went back to elect a new great Khan. And that actually saves the Kingdom of Jerusalem. Um, in September 1260, the Mongols are actually defeated by the Mamluks at the Battle of Ain Jalut. Um, so Syria falls under Egyptian control. Uh, and then you get the great Mamluk general Baibars. He assassinates the Mamluk Sultan and he takes control of the Mamluk. Um, he's, his presence is um, very significant because he is far more hostile to the Frank. And he takes advantage of continuing dispute, disputes between the Lusignans and the Hohenstaffens, that's the German line, who keep, uh, even at this date, still arguing over who should be rulers of the Kingdom of Jerusalem. And in the process, he basically recaptured the remaining outering estates. Um, Antioch falls in 1268. Uh, in 1271, uh, both the Hospitaller Fortress at Crac de Chevalier, which is an amazing fortress, and the Teutonic Montfort Castle, uh, which is equally impressive, they both fall. Um, Acre actually holds out till April 1291, um, but then uh, falls, and in July 1291, Beirut is the last remaining mainland crusader city. That, uh, and in fact, any Christians who couldn't escape that siege were either killed or, and that signifies the end of the outreach. In can I ask a quick question because. The, the, these castles didn't fall because of gunpowder, did they? No, because of cannon. Um, Too early for that. In fact, the, they largely fall by deceit. Right. Um, I think it's fair to say. The Crusaders actually, I believe, abandoned one. I can't remember which one it was, but maybe correct to Chevalier. They almost abandoned it, believing their cause is hopeless, when in fact they could probably have held out. Um, so. Uh, yeah, there's a there's it, it it's generally a pretty much a saga of uh, mistakes. Right, because they were incredibly impressive construction. They were indeed. Um, we're we're reaching the stage at this point that the um, counterweight trebuchet is the dominant um, art artillery piece of the time siege. Piece. Right, um, and if you've ever seen um, reenact. Um, demonstrations of counterweight tribute. Um, the ability of those stones to go through solid stone walls, quite impressive. Yeah, I've, I've actually seen it at Warwick Castle. 
They do a, a it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Anyway, well, but, I've actually helped crew one in Denmark, a really huge, which has got a double treadmill to power the to to pull the weight down. Four four people, two in each side, treadmill either side, two people. It, it's and then it throws a, a stone out into the sort of neighbouring river, and it, it is very impressive. Yeah, it's and the Mus, Muslims were well up on this technology. Although, you know, Richard's absolutely right to say a lot of these castle places fell to deceit or, or misunderstanding of the city. But I think one factor in that was that when if the Muslims did sit down to besiege a, a place, they, they fairly rapidly would construct quite a number of these counterweight trebuchets, plus a host of smaller ones, which would then start knocking chunks off. You know, I'm sure that played played on the defenders' minds. In fact, in a lot of medieval sieges, the castle would often agree to surrender on the date the trebuchet was completed, if it hadn't <laughs> been relieved by that time. Uh, and that's actually quite a common feature, medieval siege. So, so Kingdom of Heaven isn't complete rubbish? Mm, probably. Sharp intake of breath. Technology a little early. and Sharp intake of breath. Possibly in a bit of cinematic overplay on its effect. <laughs> um, and, and the inevitable overuse of fire missiles <laughs> but they, they were i mean um yeah but moving away from Outramere, um was it edward the first of england took had one built outside was it stirling castle it was actually named something like the great wolf thing. right uh, and it was generally it, they, they, they arrived prefabricated the, these massive were put together they were the cutting edge of technology <laughs> Yes, go down to Ikea and buy your flat trebuchet. And, and you know, just to link in, you know, the, the Mongols adopted them with alacrity by basically roping in Muslim engineers, which is, is possibly... Indeed, what and, and arguably it was what allowed the Mongols to conquer China hmm. and was actually the uh, adoption of trebuchet. Yeah, it's, it certainly made them able to take fortified places much more effectively, step step powers had ever done before i know richard invited me to to, to comment on the mamluks earlier but i'm not sure i add anything to 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 what he <laughs> to what he said um there you know i think that the key point he made it's quite right that you know the the, the kingdom of jerusalem or and the the principality of antioch basically fell where when a a powerful muslim ruler who could command the 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 Middle Eastern Muslim world finally decided it was worthwhile doing. But wasn't the, the Mamluks was a system? Um, yes. Okay. We can, we can touch on touch on that side of it. I think if we you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mamluks together. They're often called slave soldiers. Um, it, that's not quite accurate. I mean, the system dates back to Abbasid times in the ninth century, um, when when one of the Abbasids caliphates to create a more um, centralized and loyal army started buying up. Turkish slaves to form a new cavalry force based around being armoured horse archers. It was about the time the, the Turks are really impinging on the Islamic world and impressing impressing them with their prowess as our archers. And Turks were just generally seen as, as people on the edges, on the periphery and in the steppes are often um, being natural warriors, um, great horsemen and superb archers. The, the Abbasids created this system where you would buy up um, Turkish slaves um, put them through a tra religious training to make them Muslims, if they weren't already, and 
and then train them as soldiers. By the Mamluk times, the training in theory could last up to seven years, covering covering riding, shooting, using the land, sword, maces. You know, they were, they were trained to be you know great all round warriors. So that they were brought in as children or young young. Um, it, for the Mamluks, it, it appears that they would most of them were generally bought when they were around about 10. And then they would have a couple of years of religious training to indoctrinate them into Islam. And then by the time they're, they're coming up to puberty and the body starts developing is when they get four or five years of proper military. Uh, at the end of the training, they are released from slavery. Um, in theory, Muslims should not enslave other Muslims. Um, and I believe that is, that is part of the Quran. Um, obviously, these things don't work out exactly as practice, but at this point, they are, they are freed. Um, but the way slave, slavery tends to work in a medieval Muslim world was that despite the fact you have been a slave, you, you actually have a lot of loyalty to the person who is your master and as the person who's freed you. So they became incredibly loyal to their to their master, um, which then has a big impact on the political Mamluks run the state because, you know, different groups of Mamluks are loyal to different people. It becomes very fractious. So although the Mamluks replaced the fractious Ayyubids, at times they could be just as... Yeah, so, any so any similarity of uh, Mamluk training to English public schools is purely coincidental. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was probably more humane. <laughs> Although they they were there, there are some real they they were encouraged to be beaten regularly. <laughs> so just like public school, so, yeah, they, they um, were not allowed to go and fraternise outside of their barracks. Quite so, similar to Spartans in many ways, yeah, and and led to a, a very male orientated um, society. We, we, and you know, inevitably, lots of suggestions of inappropriate sexual behaviour between elder men and younger boys. So it is public school. Yeah. Um, so um, let's just get back on track. So the and when you say uh, so, the, the the Mamluk generals were the people who took over the state. When we talk about the Mamluk state, it's the generals, is it? The Mamluk state was just a military state. The Mamluks right. were just a military institution. Um, Mamluk sons did not become themselves Mamluks. Oh. Um, the the they, they 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 could enter a different part of the army called the Halka, um, but they were definitely seen as second-rate soldiers the 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 best soldiers were all and they continued to be buying in very large numbers of turkish slaves um ironically the mongols helped this because as they expanded westward they created um, lots of slaves they, they created lots of slaves especially kipchak turks um, who were already quite sought after in egypt by the by the ayubids for their mamluk um, and from brightly baybars himself was a kipchak turk so, so by creating lots of refugees and lots of um, desperate Turks who sold their children, the Mongols basically beefed up the Mamluk army, which then went on to be uh, one of the few powers that regularly defeated them. Yeah, the, it's quite interesting. The, the advantage the Mamluks had against the Mongols were the Mongols were a step uh, army, so each warrior would have had uh, quite a large number of ponies as their for not only transport but, and fighting from, but also as supplying food. Um, the Mamluks only had one horse per warrior. So in terms of logistics, in the Middle East, where water is scarce and, and good fodder is even scarcer, um, the, the Mamluk armies had a significant advantage because the, they actually needed less fodder. 
um, so their horses were in better condition and that gave them an, an advantage in the subsequent battle. That's the theory anyway. Uh, I, I, it sounds very plausible um, it, and certainly the Mamluks had a very good good um, record against the, the, the Mongols. I think up to up to the the very early 14th century. It's something along the lines of six significant battles and the Mamluks only lost one of them. The Mongols lost the rest. So you suggest, suggest there is something reasonably intrinsically in favour for the Mongols, so the Mamluks in that matchup. <laughs> so yeah. we're looking at the... Uh, so we've, we've reached the point now where are we going to go back to look at the sort of history or have we finished now... The history of the Crusades. I think we've finished, haven't we? we so I think indeed. it's time to move on to how these armies are put on the table uh, in Meg. Would that be fair? Yeah, shall we start by looking at the army lists? Go. So the armies we're looking at come from the medieval Crusades set. And we're going to start by looking at the Christians and the later Crusader list. Uh, so the Crusader armies are a mixture of knights and sergeants. Uh, so in the Fifth Crusade, you can have a few more knights than uh, in the, the, the basic list. Um, you've got these mixed tugs of knights and supply sergeants. Uh, along with that, you have foot, um, spearmen, archers and crossbowmen. And along with that, you get some native auxiliaries, uh, the Maronite or Syrian archers, um, some Arya Ban or Egyptian infantry, which is the poor foot and skirmishers. Uh, so that's the basic army. And then as allies, you can have up to two contingents or sorry, sub generals, not allies, apologies, or, or two contingents of military order knights. Um, so the military order knights are the ones I know uh, Ray likes because uh, uh, you have the option of having a tug of fanatical brother knights uh, in the later Crusader army as well. Don't leave home without them. <laughs> so, um, so that's your later Crusader army. If you want a variation, the Seventh Crusade list is essentially a French style uh, crusading on. Um, so, uh, but we'll focus on the later crusade. Um, so I'm gonna talk about my list first, if I may. Um, so the list I chose um, is probably slightly unusual in that I went for a very foot orientated army. So I'm, my forces are an army that has uh, just the one tug of knights and sergeants, uh, and then has a separate tug of sergeants, but that's only a four. Um, so I have only the 10 bases of mounted uh, in the main arm, and, and then the foot, which are spearmen, and then the mixed, I've, I went for the mixed tugs of crossbowmen and spearmen, uh, along with the compulsory arch. But the unusual element is I went for an army with an Ayyubid Syrian ally. So in my ally, I've got a, um, a unit of guard Mamluks, a second unit of Mamluks. So they're the superior protected cavalry 
I went for unskilled bow, um, giving them short spear, and the, the guard ones get melee expert. Uh, along with that, I had a unit of Turkomans in my ally and a unit of spearmen. The ally. It gives me 13 tugs, which is good. Um, it's commanded by a talented instinctive army commander, uh, two competent instinctive sub-generals, and then the Ayubed ally is a competent professional. So getting a bit radical there, going with the competent ally. Uh, that gives me six PBS cards and three scouts for my army. So it, uh, I think it's an army that can deploy um, and then react to your opponent's uh, deployment if you're out scout. So um, I, in fact, I tested that theory out a couple of weeks ago mm. uh, against Uray. And it seemed to work all right. Yes, it was it was a hilarious redeployment after you'd been out deployed. <laughs> I was out scouted. I don't think I was out deployed. Ninety percent out scouted. Something rotten, really. But I then I then I switched my cavalry from one flank to the other. It strikes me that this army and uh, just looking at the date you've chosen, um, it's 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 obviously to my mind roughly based on the army that was defeated at La Forbie in 1244. It's, it's, yes, that's, that's <laughs> army it was based on, yes. yes. We don't, don't mention the defeat bit. That was <laughs> <just done. laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, it, it can be worth mentioning that battle because in a way that was, had an impact on the Crusader states that wasn't dissimilar to the defeat at Hattin that triggered the Third Crusade and it's quite, probable that the defeat at Laforby certainly played a part in Louis IX's Seventh Crusade taking place. Yes, the, the losses the Crusaders suffered were always going to be difficult to replace. Th throughout its history, the um, uh, kingdom suffered from a shortage of manpower and big defeats like that were a major problem for the king. Anyway, onto the list. Well, there's things before we move. There's things I like about your list. Not a lot, but I like some of it. I like the six PBS and three scouting for sure. Um, I personally would never take a competent general with an ally because I'm Ray. You know, not not I'm not. I know you've done the maths, but I wouldn't do it. Um, but it, it is I an think, RJC special. I think on that Ray, you have to you have to take a calculation of how much it hurts the army not to have the ally on side from the start, you know, and assume it will take two or three moves to come on side and you make the judgment there. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, I think I would suggest that with this army, um, you could, yeah, because it's got a, a large number of crossbowmen to project um, damage at distance. It, it can survive a few rounds without those Iobin. Agreed. Agreed. But I mean, I, you know, in the, you know, doing all the doing everything you can before the, the you know before the battle starts. Mm. Going to a tournament, thinking, okay, four games this weekend, and my ally is going to be unreliable in at least one. I don't need that stress. I've got enough stress without that. I've I mean, got I, enough stress rolling the dice. I, I I have more problems with the composition of the Iobid ally rather than the the quality of its general. Um, I genuinely don't think that taking unskilled bow makes them worthwhile. If you, if you, I, I, I worked on the principle that I used them as combat cavalry 
not as shooty cam. Um, uh, there's, I mean, the army's got plenty of shooting anyway. It, I don't take the Mamluks for their shooting ability. I take them for the combat. Why not take more knights? Would be the obvious the, question. Mam, Mamluks are more controllable. They, they are. Yeah, I'd. I can see the point there with the guard Mamluks, who are melee expert. I'm less convinced on that with the ordinary Mamluks, who don't. Yeah, it's uh, it's a compromise. <laughs> Uh, absolutely and 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 managing those compromises is a list drawing up skill and um you know it it would be a very dull game if we didn't have to make these compromises in the lists <laughs> and we could just churn out exactly what we want um i mean i love the principle of the ayubid ally with crusaders i think it really adds to the crusaders flexibility um despite you know i'm not just saying that because i actually quite like using those sort of, i think i you know, i've, I've played against a, a later crusader that had an Ayyubid ally and and I was using a, a, another Muslim army and I think it balances out the crusaders to some degree. As you say, you've got a more controllable cavalry force there. You don't have to worry about whether you're going to have to hold them because they've got into charging lancer range. Um, yeah, I think it, my, yes, I'd, I'd, I think I would look on that maybe to, I don't know whether downgrading those spearmen, the Ayyubid spearmen, would give you enough points to make the ordinary Mamluks experience bow. I I doubt it would. Yeah, I think I'd have to make some other compromises. Yeah, I mean, the obvious one would be the, the Crusader archers are, are, are certainly ripe for potential downgrading. Yeah, because you don't need them. You've got enough crossbow. It's... Um, yeah, except they're quite cheap already. They're already unprotected and combat shy, so they're only 240 points. Yeah. So you make them poor. Yeah, but I, I would think the... You're a great deal. You're, prob you're probably only looking at needing about 100 and something points to get the experienced bow on the Mamluk. They're only 200 points cheaper as a unit than the guard Mamluks who have got melee, ex melee experts going to be at 20-odd points at the base. But overall, overall, getting back to sort of the, you know, going up a level of ex extraction, a bit more helicopter view, it's an army that can put pressure on your opponent across the line, isn't it? That's, you know, with the shooting that it outputs. And in the context of a um, Crusader theme, mm. you think how we've, we've, gen we've drawn up the armies for the podcast, um, the, cr the crossbowmen cause real problems for a... A, a Muslim army that is going to be dependent on its mounted yeah. archery because they outrange them <laughs> yeah. fundamentally. Yep. And obviously, if you if you take a punt and charge at them, the crossbows um, get the benefit of causing S's. a wound yep. on the on the yep. S if they are charged. So it makes them very tricky. You know, they, they, sure they, it only has to be in one rank to get its its plus. So now let's let's I tell you, should we move on to mine and then compare and contrast the two? Let's do that. Cool. Richard's, Richard's feeling under pressure now. He wants to get <laughs> off his list. Get off my list. Um, well, I'm, I'm happy for you to laugh at my list. Okay, so I, I've, I, I've, got, I've used this list um, in, a, in a small tournament, and um, there's lots of things I like about it. Um, so my, uh, the date is uh, 1221, uh, my, uh, and it's later Crusader. And the um, the commander control is the army commander is competent, instinctive. The we have a military order uh, sub subby who's competent, professional has to be professional, and then two other competent, instinctive generals. Um, I uh, have PDS of five, scouting of two. You know, not perfect, but I, I think I can live with it. 
um, and six, uh, I've got uh, 11, 11 tugs, no sugs, 11 tugs broken on six. So the command and control, in my estimation, is enough for the size of the army. Um, what I've gone for, I've gone for, uh, under the command of the military order general, uh, I've gone for the military order knight, uh, a military order sergeants in a tug. So that's cavalry, form loose, superior, fully armoured, charging lancer, devastating chargers, melee experts, and then the uh, sergeant um, just don't have the charging lancer. I think. Oh, no, and they're protected. So they're, they're downgraded by one sort of, but still very powerful. And obviously they give that second rank for the dev charge. Um, then I've gone for the military order brother knights, and these are cavalry. Oh, sorry, and there's three of the knights, three of the sergeants. The, the military order brother knights, cavalry drilled loose, um, superior, fully armoured, uh, charging lancer, devastating charger, melee expert, fanatic. Yeah. And um, oh, well, I'll come back to, to, to why. Then I've got some Crusader Knights and Sergeants, so more Knights. So six of the Crusader Knights and Sergeants and their form loose, superior, fully armoured, charging lancer, devastating charging melee expert. And then the rear rank uh, doesn't have the charging lancer protected. I've got another unit of six Knights, which is the Ultramar Knights. I've probably said that wrong. Cavalry form loose, average, fully armoured, charging lancer, dev charge melee expert, three, and then three of the Sergeants. To back them up, so I, I don't know whether I've gone for max knights, but I, I, for the when you're building an army at ten thousand points, I, I've gone for a lot of knights. Um, and then what I wanted to do was to have twenty-four white dice of uh, output from some kind of missile weapon, uh, and a missile weapon that definitely outdistant the pesky skirmishing cavalry that Nick Goutrogger will be using against me. I, was, I had his face in front of me when I was designing this. Um, I got the army slightly wrong at first. I thought I could have loads and loads of crossbow, but you can't because the crossbow you're converting into the crossbow with spear. So I've got um, two uh, tugs of six of the archers, average experience bow, combat shy, don't care about the combat shy, don't care about they're unprotected, two of those. Then two of the Syrian archers, um, same again, average unprotected experience bow, combat shy. Unfortunately, so I've kept the experience bow. They're tribal, and I've had to download one, downgrade, download, downgrade one of them to poor. But I've got 24 white dice, and I think that gives people a headache. Um, now, the, the, the battle plan is, is a very simple battle. Um, depending on the opponent, not really. I'm just going to... I'm going to smack you as hard as I can with the, with the knights. And what I'll probably try and do is put the military order brother knights. I'll put them in. I'll put them one rank even, and don't worry about the dev charge and send them forward at the at the at the, right on the, um, the 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 split between two of your tugs. And I'll hold those tugs and then out overpower the rest of what's around you. And and they'll go through anything. And what I expect the military order brothers to do is to defeat two tugs and go and have your baggage. And that really is, it's a very simple crusader plan. But the crusaders by this stage had learned that you need a lot of output firing as well. And I think it, it reflects the history in the list. There you go. Ta-da! Ray's done an aggressive list. Surprise. At least you've thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked. I played, I, I, remember, I remember playing Bruce. I love Bruce, and I remember playing Bruce, <laughs> and he lined up his, I don't know, short spear, uh, shield wall guys, and I just went, 
straight over them. And he was like, oh, that didn't work very well. And then on the other flank, I was just shooting away whatever he had on his other flank. So it does work. Obviously, everything's situational, but it's really good fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those brother knights would scare me. Um, they are they are frightening, aren't they? Lead, leading a night, night charge, there's, as I say, charge through the walls of uh, whatever. Babylon. <laughs> Babylon. Babylon? Yeah, Babylon. <laughs> Um, to uh, get there, and uh, yeah, the the supporting spearmen and crossbowmen uh, help protect the flanks while you're doing it. I'm I'm not. I think the archer component is more for fighting those pesky horse archers. Yeah. yeah. Out. Um, that would that would be my only concern using this army would be um, against some opponents. Am I am I essentially leaving four types behind? Um, but I mean, they're all dirt cheap, aren't they? The archers, they're uh, dirt cheap, they can go into rain, Richard. You know, yeah, you're looking at what 900 points for the four, yeah, it's under it's under 10 percent, 840 points for gets four. you up to breaking on six. A lot to be said for it, yeah, they, definitely. I think Richard is right, they are a potential target, but I don't really care if you lose four of them, yeah, you, you no. know. Enemy only needs two more tugs. Yeah, but I'm I'm through them by then. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sacking the baggage by then. Well, you're awesome. you're dead. Yeah, no, you're, you're doing it or you're dead. I'm having a drink at the bar because I finished early. I'm... Yeah, the the military order brother knights are, are are really nice, really powerful. They come with one thing that always concerns me: you have to have the general with the unit. He doesn't have to be fighting, but he has to be with them for the fanatic to count. Yeah, but he's only commanding two tugs. Yeah, but you just know he'll 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 pull some rubbish cards <laughs> just when the other unit needs to, to move. Not well, actually, it's more likely not to charge <laughs> for right. a move. Um, and it's yeah, just but not charging just, is not in the plan. It will be at some point, <laughs> um, especially if you're if you fight a good army that is inherently a bit more mobile than so. Let it's, me ask you a question. It's just, I, think it's, I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's a bad thing, right? No, 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 no. I want to ask you. I want to ask you. I want to. Um, I want to explore a mitigating factor. Hmm. Um, he's a competent professional general, the military order. Yeah. So you can stack one more card with him, can't you? So he can actually hold four at the end of a turn. Yes, but it doesn't mean he, he won't have spent anything. Probably at that. Sorry, how does he get the fourth card in the first? Don't know because he can't. Well, that's true. He can't because there, there isn't there isn't yeah. there isn't any right. to give it to you. It's three cards is enough. Three yeah. cards. Uh, three cards should be enough to move those two units. It's I, I just think there is the potential at some point that you have to bear it in mind that you will it will limit your capability. I agree. Uh, I so, agree. But you know, again, it's yeah. Richard said his list. It's one of those compromises, and also the sods law. You know, it will happen just at the point that the military order brother knights have taken enough damage that if the general moves away, they break. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. you pay you pays your money. and you... But they should be shoulder to shoulder, shouldn't they? So, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm struggling to think. Well, if, if you're putting them all in in one line, it's, it's probably yeah. irrelevant. Yeah. And, and I think, to be honest, I think that's the answer. My answer is they're shoulder to shoulder. It's, yeah. Any army that has elements that are 370. Has to be a good army, mate. <laughs> exactly. So, 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 off to buy the fully armoured elephants now. Uh, well, that's the other option, isn't it? Pick a Thai army or something, a Mughal army with fully armoured elephants. Anyway, so to, back back to this one. This is a, this is a very good, very solid army. 
Um, it's really it, fun as well, guys. Yeah, uh, yeah, and sort of approaching it from the other side, the the Muslim, the like the Ayyubid side, um, you'll have to be probably well on your game to take it out. But it does have targets. Yep. Um, the if you get your shooting right, and this is where, this is where the Ayyubids can fall down a bit um, compared to some other. You know, looking at Richard's army we just looked at, it's not overburdened with skill shooters. Uh, but if you come up against somebody who's got more skilled shooters, they can whittle those front ranks off the knight. Obviously, it doesn't apply to the military order brother knights, who are a whole tug of, 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 of real pain in a can. But the other knights can be whittled away, and they degrade fairly quickly once, once you've taken front rank bases off. And as I said, you, you will have to be careful about those archer units, um, because a, 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 an opposing Muslim army can be so flexible and run around. I think I think I've learned something from Richard in, in these situations. You know, everything's situational, isn't it? So so you've got to plan according to the army you're facing. But yes. Richard has drummed it into me that you can mix your foot and your cavalry. And, and if I'm coming towards your shooty, shooty, shooty skill bow, and I'm it doesn't matter, I'm mixing my if you want to come close enough to shoot my foot, my foot are gonna shoot you before that, yep. and then I'm gonna charge you. So I think there are there's always a way. Uh, by the way, uh, you've got to remember to do it on the day. <laughs> also, actually, you know, this is exactly how, when they did get get it right, that's exactly how the Crusaders did it. It, it was, you know, um, we can go back to the famous um, case, the March of Arsuf in the Third Crusade, where basically Richard, uh, Richard I of England used, used the infantry as a wall to protect the army and then unleash the knights at the right moment yeah. when the Muslims had to come quite close. Yeah. So, you know, that interaction between the two is very important. And there are a number of battles where the Crusaders lost because they didn't get it right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, look it's not at easy. It, it's not easy, but that's it, why we play the game, isn't it? It, it is, but it, it's a great reflection on the game that if you use the historical approach and get it right, it works. <laughs> and, and, you know, this army is set up for that, to have that 24 Exactly, yeah. No, I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's a good... I, I, I would much prefer to face Richard's version if I had a Muslim army. I shall take that as a rounding success, a vote of confidence. <laughs> OK, so let's move on, chaps. We've, we've done Crusaders, but... Uh, 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 in, OK, time-honoured fashion, whose army would we rather take to a themed competition? We know the other. I'd take mine with a crazy number. Um, out of those two, I, I would take yours to a theme competition. Although, although you know, I have to say, if I, if I can, if I had the Ayyubid ally the way I'd want it, might be tempted well, to take Richard not, just because I like how the him. game works. Of the two but armies as presented. Of the two presented, Ray, I will take yours. And Richard, have I converted you to my crazy knight army? I, I, I. Go on. I have. It. I'd be happy to use your army, but I'd still like to challenge. <laughs> oh, All right, guys. So, what are we going to do next? Who's leading? Who's leading? Some response from the Arabs. So, shall I go through the Arab? I mean, essentially, there are three lists we have here: Ayyubid Egyptian, Ayyubid Syrian state, and Mamluk. And they're, they're not that different from each other. The um, cavalry component uh, includes Mamluks who are superior protected, experienced bow, short spear, the best ones are melee experts. Um, you've got Turkomans, who are the flexible, um, 
uh, unprotected, experienced bow, some of them skilled bow, usually up to two thirds. Um, you generally then have other Arab cavalry, whether they're Syrian or Bedouin or uh, Karagulams, um, which are the Berber cavalry, or even Kurds. Uh, Saladin himself a Kurd. Um, and then they're supported by spearmen, uh, archers, um, crossbowmen, if they could, in small numbers, because the Arabs actually were quite impressed by crossbow. Um, and then a bunch, whole bunch of skirmishers. Um, and that essentially forms the basis of the armies. The Mamluks have probably a bit more uh, Al-Halqa cavalry, that native Egyptians and sons of Mamluks to support the Mamluks themselves. And they potentially can have large number of infantry. Am I getting that wrong? No, they, they have less infantry. Sorry, it's the larger numbers of Mamluks. Um, so yeah, you pays your points and takes your choice. Uh, the, I mean, the difference also is the um, Arab armies have professional, whereas the Crusader, the exception, are instinct. Right. So uh, then the list I chose, if I can bring it up, can't find it for the minute. Apologies. I know it's here somewhere. Here we go. So I chose an Ayyubid Egyptian army. And uh, the difference I went for with this one was that I made it in, it's sort of entirely mounted apart from a uh, sug of skirmish. I was trying to see if there was a sort of valid entirely mounted with no cap, uh, but in the end, the points limits defeated me. So I went with um, three units of Mamluks, one Sultan's Mamluks with skilled bow, um, two with experienced bow, all superior spear, a unit of six Karagulams, those are the protected long spear cavalry, a unit of Kurdish cavalry, which is charging marks and melee expert, three units of Turkomans, two of them skilled bow, one experienced bow, they're a form flexible, uh, and actually a second unit of Karagula. Uh, so nine units of cavalry and the infantry slingers thrown in. So it ends up uh, with um, nine tugs, eight PBS and five scouts, three commanders, all professional. Um, yeah. Am I am I really convinced by this army? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, I'll tell you straight up, the command scares me to death. I'm scared by the whole army. I, I, I'm scared to lose, you know, you're almost scared to lose a tug. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's got three units of skilled shooters. Um, I, I think in a themed Crusader competition, I think it's going to struggle. But I, I wanted to play about trying to all cavalry aid on it. It's probably the sort that you you want to pursue a de an already defeated Crusader army. Um, <laughs> or run away really quickly. Run away really quickly, drawing out the Crusaders till they get exhausted and then turn around and smack them. But I'm not sure you can do that. I think my I, best tactic would be to, while my opponent is laughing at the feebleness of my army, distract them and do some sort of clever tactical manoeuvre. <laughs> I think that's a bit optimistic. Um, I, the, the lowest number of command cards I've ever used for a mounted shooting army is 11, two more than you've got here. Um, 
and that is that is difficult. That that is difficult. And that was that was one where that was a uh, the Western Han. Not, I hasten to add, the one I presented in the podcast a some weeks ago, which quite frankly scared me as much as anybody. Um, so um, I, I really think these sort of armies do need to be hitting on the 12. I know 12 is a very sort of common default number, but I think it does make sense for these sort of armies. Um, Iobid's an interesting one. It, I've, I've looked at Iobid a few times myself, and there's something about it. I never seem to be able to get an army that I'm happy with despite the fact it's got good stuff it's got good toys I, I, I think ultimately it comes down to i want another unit of skilled shooters right can i ask you a question nick before we move on to the the actual makeup of the army looking at the command and control is your major concern that you want to be moving last so you need to be able to throw cards away um that's part of it though i think that can be a bit overrated okay um, a certain amount of if you know what you're doing and and, and calculate yeah, well, I, I obviously don't, so I need lots of cards to throw. Um, but just for listeners who answers experience, I mean, discarding cards is a very important part of the game. Discarding cards is, um, you can always sort of, you can always pass. Pass early yeah, and hope your opponent doesn't pass. pass as well. Um, yeah, pa passing early is, they can throw your opponent sometimes if they're not yeah. really thought about it. Um, on the other hand, Somebody did that to me, and I just went pass back at them. Yeah, love it, love it. <laughs> because I looked, I looked at the table and went, actually, I'm quite happy with how it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, actually, uh, I want to be the active player, so pass. Yeah, so you know, and they and they sort of went, huh? <laughs> they hadn't, they hadn't thought I would, but I did. You know, but, um, yeah, it's. I, I just think, I just think nine is not enough. I, I've, I think the lowest I've ever used in any army was ten. Um, was with uh, my Edward the Fourth English. Um, and that, that that worked okay, but you, you have to be you have on to be on game. the ball. You have to be on your game. You know, you, there's not a lot of room. I just think it's. And again, as Richard said, you say you wouldn't necessarily be happy with this in a theme. You know, one question is how's it going to get out the way of your crusader, for example. I, I look, the, the, I'm going to I'm going to become the crusader. The only thing I'm worried about now is I get overconfident because I'm going to steamroll <laughs> on that. I am going to fucking excuse yeah. my French listeners. I'm rolling that. Yeah. I that, like the I like the PBS and scouting, Richard. That's what I like about your army. It, the rest of it, you can you can keep. <laughs> yeah. The, um, one one thing I would be tempted to do with this army is split the skilled Turkomans down into three fours, just to be able to manoeuvre your skilled shooting around a bit more. But as we all know, and Richard Richard knows as well as anybody, you have to very manoeuvring around with those those fours of unprotected. You, you have to be a bit careful, but you've got the other units in there. It, it doesn't have the command to use them. As... Well, that, that is, it's sort of linked to, that's why I'd want more command as well. Yeah, that, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd, I'd happily drop a couple of the Karagul arms, have that as a four, and that's a unit that you would hope to insert into the flank of somebody. Take this as a lesson not to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always think, you know, a lot. I, I don't know how other people. You know, it depends on how you learn with things, but I, I, I tend to have to go through the process of writing it down or even playing it. You know, so you, get, you sort of go, yeah, I don't think this is necessarily a good idea. But there's a little bit in the back of your mind that's saying it might be. You never know. <laughs> so, so before we move on, I'm voting for Nick's army, and I haven't even seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, think, I think that was going to be a safe. You, you didn't have to see mine to know that Nick was going to choose the better army. <laughs> 
Right, right. come on, I, let's move on to Nick's. Yeah. And uh, shall you know, I talk through you the? Might, you might better rip that one apart as well. Yeah. Shall I talk through the list to give you a break, Richard? Please. Okay, Mamluk Egyptian. Obviously, the, 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 these follow straight on from the Ayyubids, um, and there's obvious continuity. Um, it, in, in many ways, it's a similar army. Its core of this army is around the Mamluks, um, split between the royal Mamluks, that's the Mamluks of the reigning Sultan and his predecessors, um, and the Amir's Mamluks of the, the, the lesser generals and lesser commanders. The royal Mamluks, you can have up to 12 of them, and you've got 8 to 24 of the Amir's Mamluks. The royal, now, the, the big difference here from the Ayyubid is the royal Mamluks are skilled shooters at the start. All of them can be skilled shooters, and three-quarters of the Amir's Mamluks can be upgraded to skilled shooters. So, you know, that, that point I was just talking about in Richard's army, lack of skilled shooters. Mamluks get it, they get loads. Obviously, yeah. wow. obviously that comes at, literally at a cost. Um, half of not to six of your royal Mamluks can be regraded to have armoured horse as well, um, in which case they chain, they, they get shoot and charge and cease to be loose and become close. Um, the royal, royal Mamluks can all have melee expert option, option as well. So they become quite effective. So they're like cataphracts. Uh, sort of, but the, 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 the rider's not fully armoured, so they don't get right, the armoured right. um, bonus in melee. But they get the armoured horse, so that's very good against shooting. They're the guys with the big quilted horses you've got. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, if, in fact, the, 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 the armour that we classify as armoured horse in Meg would, would actually be um, cloth-covered metal. Okay. It would be scale armor, lamella armor, and well. Right. So obviously, you know, your Mamluks are the core of your army. The supporting cavalry, you can have some more um, Al Halka, who are basically the same as the Amir's Mamluks. They're just experienced bow, short spear. They're formed loose, not drilled. All the proper Mamluks are drilled. So they're sort of budget Mamluks. Um, you can have a few um, long spear cavalry, like which are the basically like the Karagulams of Richard's list. Uh, you can have a small number of Turkoman mercenaries, um, not as many as the Ayyubid can have, just 0 to 12, but two-thirds of those can be skilled shooters. You can get a few more skilled on the cheap. Uh, you have a few Bedouin cavalry, which in some circumstances can be useful, form flexible, average unprotected, long spear. Can I, I, be they, they, are the, they are the troop type that flatters. Um, I, I just can't, well... They, they can be very game, useful. But I just they, can't get them to work. They're round the flank raiders. Yeah. And and you know, because they've got the flexible, they can do the the long move, flex yeah. flex to loose formation if they can get behind a flank when you're going to have the deck that's eleven moving. inch charge, eleven base width charge. Yeah. So you you, you know it's but yeah. it you know they're they're tricky to you. Um that's the cavalry put there, there's a there's a there's a host of junk, well I consider junk infantry anyway. Um Missile skirmisher infantry and some, again, a few crossbowmen and archers you could have in this list um, to bulk it out. Up to six Nafatun infantry skirmishers with firearm, if you like. And towards the end of the period of this list, which is sort of outside the period we've been talking about, you can have a few guns. Uh, but basically, this army will live and die round the Mamluk. Generals are all professionals. Um, there are no allies. So you're, you're going to draw up your army from this the, the core of it will be cavalry like i can't see how you turn this into an infantry army not not without being utterly suicidal so uh <laughs> there we go um i'm just going to 
respond to a, a message being sent to me. Yes, the, the, the list I circulated to Richard and Ray is unfortunately not a legal one. Oh. However, <laughs> it isn't going to be the one that's going to appear in the supporting materials, <laughs> which I will now describe to you. <laughs> and has the advantage of being exactly 10,000 points, assuming I've got it right. Um, yeah, the, the, just for, for the listener, the, the one I circulated to, to the rest of the team had, had more of the upgraded Royal Mamluks with Armoured Horse actually allows. I got a bit carried away. <laughs> anyway, my list. <laughs> I will go through it. Right. For, for command, um, I've gone for a competent CNC with a talented and two mediocre sub-general. You could alternately go for two competents and a mediocre. So this is um, completely different to the list I'm looking at? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay, fine. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry about that, guys. Um, I, I fancied the, the talented, so that I've got you a... Send commander. me the list you're, you're looking at now. Um, I could do. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Technical hitch. Yes. Ray, pause. So uh, Nick has now sent us all the, uh, the list, which is legal. So we can, uh, at the point of talking about his list, we can now take the listeners through his list. He's told you what he's, is available for him to choose from. And now we have a legal list in front of him. Great hilarity, because he's always slag slagging me off about my list building ability. So on that basis, Nick, crack on. Okay, so I'd, I'd, I think I've just covered the, the, the commanders. Competent no, start again, start again. Okay, for, for this list, I've chosen to go for a competent CNC, a talented subby and two mediocre subbies. Another option would be to have two competent and mediocre, which would actually be slightly cheaper in points. But I wanted the option of having the talented, partly to allow a four wide block move. And also, just in case I really wanted to, it does open up the flank, but possibly less likely with this. I have gone for six. What, flank marching all your flexibles. Uh, it would be a point. There are flexibles in this, so you could do that. Although I think that would be a bit of a desperation. I, I just like the idea of having the possibility of being able to move a block four wide, possibly early in the game. But by the way, can I just can I just say before we move on? I noticed on Facebook someone was slagging off my tactic of blocking off a flank march by putting a single line of absolute crap troops on the flank. Well, well played, sir, on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that that was situational, wasn't it, again? <laughs> exactly. It's a game of skill. It is. Anyway, I've gone for um, all 12 of the Royal Mamluks that you can have, um, uh, with half of them with the upgrade to the Armoured Horse, um, with the Shoot and Charge and Melee Expert. The other half are just the Drilled Loose, Superior Protected, Skilled Bow Shorts. The, the army only has the one unit that's got any Melee Expert. I've gone for four units, each of four bases of the Amir's Mamluks, all drilled loose, average protected, short spear. Three of them have skilled bow, one has experience. So that's the most skilled bow you can have out of those 12, the three core. Um, a four base unit of Al-Ashir cavalry. These are the long spear cavalry, as I said, like um, Richard's Karagulams. I have gone for a small unit of the Bedouin cavalry, form flexible, average unprotected long spear. I've had to downgrade them to combat shy. To some degree, this is a bit of a filler unit. Right. Possibly act as just an irritant. Um, again, there are arguments for that, that maybe a unit of cheap archers might be a better option. But I, 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 I've, got, I've found I've had good use out of these Bedouin cavalry. They, they can be a nasty flank attack. Yeah. Uh, and I, I quite like them. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I've said I've had good use out of them. They are, they are something you have to get 
get your head around using. And then I've got three units, again, just a fours of Turkmen mercenaries, form flexible, average unprotected. Two of them are skilled bow, one of them is experienced bow. So again, maxing the skilled shooter. So, you know, obviously this army will live and die by its skilled shooting. Uh, PBS of seven, scouting. Um, now, scout, neither quite as good as Richard's, but I think scouting of four should be better than most Crusader armies. Absolutely. So again, you, the chances are these Crusader armies are likely to have something like two. They might have three. So you've got a good chance of outscouts, which help. And, and, some, and sometimes, you know, like yours, Ray, they can have a low PBS one. So maybe you'll get the advantage in the PBS playoff before the games. Yeah. So, you know, obviously this army will spend a lot of time manoeuvring around, trying to get as much out of its skill shooting as possible. You know, that taking off the front ranks of the knights. I was t- The inclusion of that one unit of the armoured horse royal mam- mamluks, um, that is one unit. You know, I, I, again, it's one of those dither, 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 should I, shouldn't I sort of units, because it is only one unit. But that's one that can ride down a Crusader infantry shooting. The armoured horse makes them yeah. really quite, I mean, quite what, tough. While we're, if you don't mind me asking, well, talking while we're talking about that particular tug, aren't, that, that only moves four base widths. Moves four base widths and gets severely affected by terrain. And, and I just wonder whether that... I wonder whether the benefit you get is negated by the fact that you might actually be slowing everything down to four base widths, and no, then you'd, you'd be you'd be inserted. You, you know, your all your primarily shooting cavalry will go out front, and then get out of the way, and that charges in and, and get out the way. Yeah. Off. Okay. Um, right. you know, I've kept it to skill shooting because skill shooting, shoot and charge can be really grim if you're on the receiving end. You know, against an average infantry unit, in theory. You'd have to be bloody lucky, but you could do three skulls on them. Yeah. You know, and even three wounds, it could be. So all your shooting of. charges are on yellows. Sorry? Your shooting charges on yellow dice. No, greens. Oh, greens. Maybe on yellow if you were poor <laughs> or unprotected. But not, not a poor, sorry, if you were unprotected, but not poor because the skilled already takes that into it. It gives you that one punch unit. Uh, and and if, you, if you're desperate, one unit that could possibly stand up to a reasonably intact crusader knight you but you will be you it will this army would live against crusader will live and die on how you can get the shooting into the right position but because it's skilled it can outshoot on a limited frontage the the crusaders you can gang up on the end of a line you know not bad and that that one year to the long spear cavalry not the arrows the actual long, can, can just provide a useful threat to anything that might present a flank. You know, I was saying about you know that one turn when you won't be able to hold the the the, the Crusader knights. If they charge off in your turn, and I can manoeuvre that little four onto your flank. I mean, you've got nine tugs, which are four bases. Yes. Out of your eleven. Yes. And because it's you, I, I think you're. I don't think there's many people who could use this. It's oh, I, the, I really the, don't. that Mamluk is really difficult. It's one. I, it's one I used early on, and it was a really harsh learning experience. Yeah. It's. I mean, you remember that army? We we had a game the other night, and but you know, a lot of your armies are, are thematically similar. And I was using Carolingians, and you were using I can't remember. Guitars. Yeah, and you had not not a dissimilar makeup of an army, was it really? In that sense, yeah. and you know, you're bloody good at it. But I tell you what, it was t- you know, God, you, you can't make stupid mistakes at cavalry balls. No. You cannot make stupid but mistakes. Realistically, it's the only way you're going to get a lot of skilled shooters. Right. right. Uh, it, it's that trade-off. This army's going to try and win by shooting. 
Yeah, I mean, be, the stunned silence. Silent because I know I couldn't do it. I mean, I've got, I've got nothing to say. And I think, from the listeners' point of view, you know, that many of them, some of them know you and played against you. Some of them know you by reputation. Most people don't know. I mean, this this army. I mean, wow. There wow. are e- there are easier armies to use. I yeah. It much though I like it. Much though I like a lot of the history around. It, there are other armies I would take before this one. But but for this podcast, it seemed the obvious one. Absolutely. No, ab- ab- because, absolutely. Thematically. I, I, but within this theme, and it's something uh, that um, I would have considered if, if, if I was, say, doing an Iobid army, like Richard, take the Iobids with the Khwarazmian ally. Have they got skill shoes at Khwarazmian? Um, no, you don't get more skill shoes. What they provide you is um, some charging lancers, superior charging lancers who are experienced bow shoot and charge and they are quite interesting i have used those as part of a soldier rum army and ran over some of robin's um crusader mixed formation wow yeah. so i feel i feel like i'm a bit i'm kind of like in shock by your by the army I, I, but my shock is based on i wouldn't know what the hell to do with your army but not not any anything else um it's not one, it's, it's again it's it's one of these don't start with this army yeah yeah, um, start, yeah but i'm going to claim a score draw ray would, <laughs> wouldn't want to use either of our armies <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work like that well maybe it's um, a new score draw so you know it's, it's as you know we as I say, every podcast, skill to use shooty cavalry armies, you do need to practice. Um, but, I did, it wasn't on the armies I used early on, but it was a previous version of the rule, previous version of the list. Yeah. Um, and it didn't work out that well. But I think these armies have got better as, as the rules have matured. Um, I think that so, they've certainly got more realistic. Yeah. So against, against my Crusader army, match, you know, matched up against that, I mean, I, I just think I could chip away with my shooting. Mix, mix the mix the knights in bet- with the you know do what the crusaders did mix the knights with, with the foot and chip away and if you want to come and draw me out and do your fancy dancey dancey well, you're going to get shot you're going to get shot and I, I get a base you're in you know that's that's the trouble if I get a base what are you shooting on then when you come back in well, you, if you lose a base off a file the skilled shooters are still shooting on yeah white so I don't know. Enough. Look, I, I'm I'm only thinking of it from my point of view. I, I would never argue with your list creation, um, but I don't. I I would I would let's do let's do this game one time, not not on Sunday because uh, we've got a different thing to practice for. But uh, we should play this game. My my Crusaders against that Mamluk Egyptian. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> you don't fancy that. All right. So no, no, it's, it's, I, I, you know, in in your your. I think, I think out of all the inner team competition, I pick your army. So, so in time-honoured fashion, Richard's Richard's abomination on the Mamluk Egyptians. I vote for the Mamluk Egyptians. Out of those two, yeah, I'd go for the Mamluk. Egyptians. Yeah, I think out of those, out of the Ayyubid and the Mamluk, I'd be a lot happier with the just Mamluk. the command and control. I mean, Richard started badly and it went downhill from there. It's it's the command and control and the fact it's got that much shooting, skill shooting. I think they'll both stroke the. The Crusader is undoubtedly the easier army. To- I, 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 given the choice, I'd use a Crusader. A uh, Crusader, a Crusader, or Ray's Crusader? Do you say? Well, I might go even to say Ray's Crusader. <laughs> hey! Right, so guys, I had guys, to pick a Crusader. Uh, I'd agree, but I, I'd, I'd, by inclination, I would choose a different. Right. 
That's you, you can't bend the rules like that. Sorry. So right now, chaps, I think we spent a lot of time talking about the history. We spent a lot of time talking about the armies, but I don't think there's been any waste of time. I mean, the readers, the listeners will decide that. But, you know, it's been a really meaty discussion. We've, we've really gone into the list. So um, I, I think we need to just move on to uh, the, you know, the figures very quickly. And there's some beautiful figures for this, you know. Everyone does Crusaders, don't they? So beautiful figures. Uh, and then a bit about if, if either of you want to talk about the sources or we just put the sources up on, on the blog. Um, I, I don't mind either way. But certainly the figures we should have a little chat about. Fine by so, me. Nick, lead us off on the figures. Okay. Well, as Raider said, yeah, lots and lots of people do Crusader ranges um, and, and indeed cover the Muslim opponents as well. You know, so you can find... Lots out there, so I'll, I'll just I'll just provide you some highlights. As we said, we'll put up the uh, a list of some stuff up on, on the blog and take from there. Um, one for both Crusaders and Muslims, Donington have ranges uh, in their new era ranges. Um, I I use their Muslim ones for most of my Muslims, so they get my my seal of approval for what it's worth. Legio Heroica from Italy do have ranges as well. Big shout out for Giuseppe and uh, Legia Heroica in this particular uh, period. Yep, they, they do. Again, we've got quite a few of the, the Muslims. Um, they do a Crusades range, but that really covers only right up to the beginning of the ones we've been covering today. Um, but they do. he does a feudal range, um, wherein you get the, the knights in the in the, the panoply of the period we've been talking about, because things move on, helmets change, shield types. So you can get get a lot of good, lovely figures from here. Um, I've used, used his figures quite a lot for others. They paint up really, they, they look lovely. And if you're a good painter, they can be stag- staggeringly wonderful. Yes, um, we, always, they are. <laughs> yeah. we always have to mention Essex. Essex do um, ranges for, for everything. So they're, they can be a very useful shop. Again, just be a bit careful. They've got a Crusader range, but um, I would say certainly for the, the the Crusader side of things, you probably want to be looking at their um, feudal and early medieval range. For again, for the period we've been to, but again, they cover Muslims and Christians. Um, Merliton, another Italian company, have Crusaders and Muslims museum miniatures, um, well known for good good budget prices, good nice figures at a good price. They have a later Crusades range. Um, but like a lot of their ranges, they tend to be a bit mix and match throughout the figures they do, but they do suitable figures. And Curzan miniatures from the States have a 13th century range, which would be okay, which would be nice for the uh, Crusader side. So those are the very sort of nice figures. Shout out for John as well. Yeah, and always provides a good service. And for anybody who's actually sort of worried about the um, the import side of it, because obviously coming from the States, it's an import. Um, yes, you probably will have to pay some import duty, but um, John arranges it so it's, it's a nice, seamless process. On the size of your order, it's either paid through, when you pay by PayPal or you know, all well. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, agreed. John's found <laughs> way around it. No, it's, it's, it's all above board. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think um, it's but, through eBay or something like that, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's um, it, it's it's handled for him. It's all sorted out and figures arrive on your doorstep. Um, 28 mil, as ever, I have to caveat this by I'm not so um, up on 28 mil. Um, for Crusaders, there's a company called Crusader Miniatures, who, funnily enough, have a Crusader range. V&V Miniatures also have a Crusader range. Um, Essex, again, have Crusaders and Muslims in 28 mil in their ranges. 
other crusaders, first corps and magister militum figures. Uh, for the Muslims, gri gripping beasts have a Saracen range, which I think has been mainly aimed at their saga game, but um, it's got Muslim figures in it. They're good figures, those gripping beasts. Yeah, gripping beasts are nice figures. Magister militum have some Muslims that go with their crusaders. And Perry miniatures have a Muslim range, Crusades period. So you see John at Curasan announced some 28mm uh, medievals. Do you see um, them? Oh, right. No, I, I missed that. If he's yeah, really beautiful. Really beautiful. Um, if they're of the right period, they'll be good, I would suspect. So that those, those would be sort of my highlights, or in the case of the 25mm, the ones I found out about. <laughs> So, you know, always apologies to the, the fans of the 25, 28 mil. It's, it's just not really my thing. Too um, expensive. Uh, too much painting. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you are a good painter, I think the cracking thing about it is plenty of infant, uh, uh, chivalry and do some cracking looks. And, and that's even true for the Arabs as well. That there's there's quite a lot of good in the Arab scheme. So what's our go-to sources of information then, quickly? Right, well, there's billions of books on the Crusades. <laughs> you search on Amazon, you'll get loads, you know, going back to, you know, classics by Stephen Runciman and Jonathan Riley Smith, modern, more modern authors like Dan Jones and lots of people have read. There's inevitably loads of books on the military orders, especially the Templars, often with bizarre theories and some, <laughs> some really wacky stuff. Um, for the for the for the blog, I've put I've personally pulled together uh, some some sources I think are, are quite good, more specific um, in terms of relevant for war gamers. Um, there's a whole series of books that Osprey do on the Knights of Spitler, the Knights Templar. There's one that compares the Templar Knights to Mamluk warriors. There's, there's a couple on the Mamluks themselves, and there's one on Saladin and the Saracen covering the Ayyubids, and there's one of the campaign books on the fall of Acre. So, you know, they're all good stuff. The usual illustrations, the usual sort of Osprey. Well, pictures. <laughs> there are indeed pictures. There's the old um, WRG publication, Armies and Enemies of the Crusades by Ian Heath. Um, black and white line drawings. Still got a lot of useful information in it. Probably a bit weaker on the Muslims because when it was written, you know, 40 years ago, information, Muslim sources were harder to. There's, there's a book called Warfare in the Latin East, 1192 to 1291, by a chap called Christopher Marshall, which is a, an overview of the period. And there's, there's a number of books on the Seventh Crusade as well. Louis, Louis IX, a bit of a tragic figure in many ways. It's the last proper crusade for the Holy Land, or close to. So that attracts attention as well. And there's quite a few books that cover... Um, sort of background issues on the on the equipment and some some useful books that cover the earlier crusade period but do line up some some useful stuff on strategy for instance or just just how the crusades got to where they got um, but really the, there is a load of stuff out there on the crusades i mean i don't know if richard's got anything he would add to those i've just mentioned i i think it's a case of um there is plenty of choice um and uh, go um, go for recommendations, I would suggest. Um, um, try and find reviews on the books and get the... If you're interested in the history more than some of the weird theories, the reviews will probably send you right in which... So uh, I think it's been a fascinating um, uh, trip through the history and the armies that you might use from that period. And hopefully... Um, our listeners will agree. Um, so my question tonight, not the usual, what are you working on? So we're, we're back to planning for tournaments. 
And I think the three of us are, well, we're all going to the post-COVID Cup. Um, so that's probably less contentious to ask about that. We're all going to Armageddon. So that's the first big one. And I think there are still tickets available for Armageddon. I think, I think 28 of the 40 have been sold already. Um, and that's in July. So that's not too shoddy. Um, so uh, what are we thinking, chaps? What are we thinking for Armageddon? So if Armageddon is 500 BC to 500, so BCE to 500 CE. I've got five candidates. <laughs> what are we thinking? Come on. He's very sneaky spying out the opposition. So. Oh, you're not, you're not going to tell me anything anyway, but I mean, it just... I, I would, I would, well, I'll go first because I'm going to suggest, I'm going to try the early Achaemenid version. Can I, um, all these people who say I've ruined it, I've got to prove them wrong, haven't I? <laughs> Do you know what? I think that's an absolutely solid choice. When you hear about people saying they're bringing 24 elephants and 16 chariots and just use the Archimedes Persians, it'd be perfect. Um, and I'm not so sure they've been nerfed anyway, as we as we discovered on a previous podcast. OK, so so which version, satrapal or royal? Oh, I'd, I'd go the royal. I mean. Yeah, OK. All right. So <laughs> you, will, you will be the king of kings. Yes. With, with, with so, the harem of a thousand. And, and, and uh, oh, and it, is it? Oh, no. I was going to say it's in the other place where they have the throne. Um, so, uh, okay, well, I'm going to hold you to that. You're going with Persian. Um, Nick, Nicholas, what are you thinking of? Uh, uh, I, I think, like you, I'm at the stage of I've got a, a short list, really. Um, one possibility would be the, the early Carthaginians that I, I painted up and used last year that could turned out to be, for me, a real surprise at how nice an army it was to use. Um, there's always my fourth century. Uh, CE Romans, which I've had uh, used quite successfully, and I suppose inevitably the Sassanids crop up. Uh, yeah, I, again, I like yeah, it, I had quite a bit of success with it. Um, I'm also wondering about, you know, maybe, yeah, because it is any list 500 to 500, you know, maybe, maybe roll out that Western Han I like or something else from points yeah. east, just, just again, just yeah. a, a bit different. Um, there'll be quite a few. Um, Classical armies in there, you know, we're going to get the late Republican Romans, no doubt, regular Carthaginians and all, all those normal ones. So maybe just something from the East, just to mix it up a little. Um, there's one of the Korean lists I quite like to look at, just because, just again, a bit different yeah. thing rather than anything. And let's face it, you know, the, you know, the Armageddon is, it's the first big, biggish get together where we're all going to be, you know, despite if we've been to the post-COVID cut and whatever, we're still going to be blundering our way through the rules to some degree. Absolutely. And, you know, it'll just be fantastic just to be getting get in a place and be pushing lead around hope, with hopefully new opponents, you know. And on that, anybody who's listening, especially if you're a relatively new player, this has got to be a great opportunity. Four games, lots of people in one place, uh, where everybody's just going to be so enthused to be playing again. Nobody's, nobody's going to be out there to kill, to be a killer in any respect. And you get a lot of hints and tips, help if you're not quite sure. You know, even if you, even if it's your first game. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I, I think I've managed to think of an army in every of the centuries available from 500 to 500. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not, I painted that uh, early Carthaginian, <laughs> copied Nick's army. Uh, I painted <laughs> the early Carthaginian, so that's a possibility. I think that's a very Nice army. I might even take that to an open competition. Very, very nice. Um, I'm also, um, I'm still thinking of the, is it the Pompeian Numidian that Nick, yeah. uh, that Richard tried to nerf? But I think that's still a great army. So I'm thinking of that. 
Um, and I'm also thinking of things right at the other end of the spectrum, trying to find, squeeze something in from uh, the, the medieval lists which start in 500 or, 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 or encompass 500. So there's some, there's some rather nice armies which are short spear dev charge, um, you know, with some good cavalry as well. So I think there's, I think there are possibilities. There are definite possibilities. If you can't find an army you like between 500 BCE and 500 CE, then give up the hobby. Basically, so I think it's gonna be a great. I think it's gonna be. I think it's a great. I don't know how Hamby thought about it. He's off the top of his head. I think. I think it's a great idea because you're gonna get such variety. Hopefully, no nine tug pike armies, but. Uh, you know. <laughs> Sid can do whatever he wants. <laughs> I was just about to say, oh, we're suggesting Sid might bring his own. Ah, you no, know, he's, he's a changed man. He's a changed man now. What, he's, he's, going he's, found, he's found a way to put a tenth pike unit in. Yeah, he's, he's, he's going horse archer armies, apparently. <laughs> right, chaps. Well, uh, honestly, thank you very much. Great pleasure. Um, and uh, I, hope the, I hope the listeners enjoy our ramblings <laughs> about the Crusades. And... Uh, and see everyone soon across the table. So thank you very much, chaps. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. Okay, we are very, very privileged to be joined this week with, by Dr. Simon Elliott. Um, he's actually Honorary Research Fellow at the University of Kent. He's a prolific author and an all-round good egg. Now, um, there's two or three things that I want to get from him, but firstly... Simon, tell us a bit about your background, what you're doing, and, and how things are going. Well, firstly, Ray, you should do my PR because that's a great introduction. And secondly, uh, thank you so much for having me on your fabulous podcast with uh, with your cast of supporting characters as well. Um, so my background is that I've got a doctorate in uh, classics and archaeology from the University of Kent. But if you go back sort of 10 years in my 40s, I did a couple of master's degrees part time while I was personally was working full time in the city, helping run or actually running PR companies. Uh, one in war studies at KCL and one in archaeology from UCL. Segue that naturally into doing a, a PhD at the University of Kent, where my focus was on the Roman military in Kent. So it was a natural home for me. And um, I realized then that uh, I couldn't do that while working full time. So since that time, I've got my own small business doing PR, but I spend most of my time um, writing books about the Roman world and now appearing on the telly talking about the Roman world. So my first book was published uh, in 2016, Seagulls of Empire, which tells the story for the first time of the Classis Britannica, which is the Roman Navy in Britain. Um, that was an award winner, actually. That won the uh, Military History Matters Book of the Year Award in 2017. Um, uh, and then since that time, I've now got 12 books. publishing into a vacuum with that book. I mean, that, I think it's fascinating. I've got it. I mean, that was, I, there's nothing else around there, was there, about that? What you've got to do there, Ray, so it's a very insightful question, Ray, if I may say so. Um, it was deliberate because I looked around to find a book where I had complete carte blanche to write something completely new, which brought something very fresh to the debate about the Roman military in Britain. And there's so much amazing stuff already available anyway that I just thought it, it was best to do something new. So I looked at what I did in my PhD research, which was about the the the, the ragstone quarrying, in, quarrying industry in the upper Medway Valley where I live and how that built Roman London. Uh, the bit that's missing in that description is that it was built by the classic, it, it was run by the classic Britannica Roman Navy in Britain. And they then did the transporting and then they facilitated the building as well so actually I had a whole body of research on this navy and it was a very easy fun thing to do to write a book about the navy itself and since that time I've, I've now got 12 books on sale I've got three more coming out this year usually on Roman themes um, 
So uh, my Septimus Severus in Scotland book is was an Amazon number one bestseller. My Romans at War, the big glossy, glossy coffee table book was an Amazon number one bestseller in the US over Christmas. And now my big book that's just come out is about the, um, the Roman, uh, Roman Britain's missing legion, the ninth legion. Uh, which again is an Amazon number one bestseller and has got a huge amount of publicity. Um, and on the back of all the sort of various books, I've ended up quite a, doing quite a bit of TV work as well. In fact, I've just done my IMDB uh, and it turns out I've been on TV or broadcast mainstream 14 times in three years. And I've got three actual full fat series to present. I'm about to be commissioned to do as well. So I'm beginning to really enjoy life, sort of making a living from, from the ancient history. But to be clear, it's hard work and there's a lot of self-motivation involved in doing it. Yeah. I mean, one of the things you've got to be, you know, really surprised about in all this is that your dog is more famous than you. It's prettier than me. That's why. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hector the Archaeologist. I've obviously met him a couple of times. I love that dog. And, and, you know, I think he is actually the reason for most of your success. Well, it's Hector the Archaeological Dog. And if you can hear snoring, it's because he's snoring next to me. And actually, <laughs> later this afternoon, we're going to be walking up to one of my Roman villa sites we're investigating. So the archaeological dog can do his thing. And you're going to take me to that uh, villa site the next time I'm down your way. And, and, and for, more than that, almost certainly later in the year, maybe August or September, we'll be doing excavations. So any of your listeners who want to come and have a, 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 an excavation and learn a bit about how to excavate a Roman site, feel free to come down. I like your good friend, the Brummy Lass, who thought she could take home what she, uh, what she found in an archaeological dig. I thought that was hilarious. Which, 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 is, which, is, which is so funny because in actual fact, the key thing is, of course, you've got to record everything. So you record everything and then you work out where it best sits. Then if nobody else wants it, you can store it. But the key thing is to first record it. OK. All right. So so that's your background. Um, I have to say pre- prodigious author. Uh, and, and then now you, you are a, a massive supporter of the, of the Meg tournament scene. Um, you know, and uh, and also, you know, you're very generous when it comes to to the prizes as well. So talk a bit about Meg and, and why you think it's uh, such a good thing. Well, I'm a, I'm a lifelong ancient war gamer. My, my entry point, uh, well, as you know, my son is called Alexander. So you can guess where my sort of passion lies with the ancient world. My son's middle um, name is Alexander. There you go. You see, I hope he's, what's his first name? Uh, uh, Ptolemy. There's a long story, but his first name is George. It's because I wanted him to be called George Oliver Duggins, so his initials on his rugby shirt would be God. <laughs> but uh, and for three days that was going to be his name, and then my wife she she got over the birth and said, "We are not calling him George Oliver." She saw through me. She saw through me. <laughs> my wife sees through me all the time as well. Well, the the the. the... I can remember the first time I went into the Skytrek shop in Nottingham in the early 1980s. Wow. Bought my first figure, metal figure, that is, which was a mini figs, second edition, 25 millimeter pikeman with the pikes leveled, uh, which you only realize which you've got a full phalanx you can never use because you can never actually get them into contact with an opponent. <laughs> and then my first set of rules was WRG, fifth edition. Uh, first competed with sixth edition. So I have hugely fond memories of wedges of Roman legionaries next to um, Palmyra and cataphracts yeah. or wedges of companions next to Macedonian pikemen in my Alexandrian Viking army. Viking wedges. <laughs> um, and then I, I, I went all the way through the VBA 
sort of series, Fox series, have ended up work, playing Meg because I think it's an amazing set of rules where it's got this fantastic balance between fun, but it's also, I think, as a historian, it's important to me, uh, historically realist, realistic. Uh, and then you get this great jeopardy with the colour system with your cards or your dice, which reflects real life, you know. Um, Absolutely. When, when, when I'm writing about the battles of Alexander or Caesar, um, we used as war gamers to have this God's eye view of the battle table, which they never had. Once they were committed with their battle plan, that had to be followed through. Uh, and that's exactly what you get with Meg, with a colour color system with your cards or dice. It's just a fabulous set of rules. The other point I will make, by the way, about Meg is I just think it's a great group of players as well. I've always enjoyed playing every competition set of rules or every set of rules in a friendly sort of scene. But just I really enjoy playing with the Meg, Meg, Meg players as well. It's just a great, great group of people. Cool, cool. Okay, so uh, really, the, 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 there is something that's happened this year, which uh, our listeners might not know about. Um, but you know, you you were asked to, uh, to to become a certain person in in our hobby. Now, the Society of Ancient Simon is that just for old people? No, it's not. It's for every, <laughs> the Society of Ancients is for everybody of all backgrounds and anybody who's interested in the hobby. So effectively, for those who don't know the Society of Ancients, it is the uh, a representative body for anybody in the world, because it's a global organisation, who wants to play ancient wargaming. Uh, and there are many entry points for anybody coming into gaming, as we know, whether it's through computer games, through uh, Games Workshop, through any of the Warlord game systems, etc., and that all comes funnels through into playing ancient war games, hopefully with many players at some stage. Well, anybody who's interested in ancient war gaming of any age, of any background, the Society of Ancients is for you. And it's an amazing honour to become the um, the president, because if you, I, I was looking at this myself when I was offered the opportunity to, to uh, apply by the previous president. Some of the key figures which we grew up with yeah. as names not yeah. meeting them, Tony, uh, Tony Bath, Donald Featherstone. Yeah. These are these are people who um, were, you know, heavily involved, founding, leading the Society of Ancients, leading the hobby. And now here's little old me, despite being six foot six and a former number eight in second row, being the, the president, being honoured, honoured to be the president of the Society of Ancients. It's amazing. So, OK, all good. Now, I, I've got to declare an interest. I am, I am a member, on and off, I've been a member of the Society of Ancients for... I don't know, 20 years, Some, someone down there would probably tell me I'm lying, but a long time, okay. Now, so I, uh, I received the magazine. That's my most, that's what I engage with most. But tell us, tell us what, I mean, why should our listeners join the society, wherever they are in the world, why should they join the Society of Angels? What does it do for the hobby? Well, uh, it does a variety of things. Well, firstly, it's a central focus for, for, for anybody playing ancient wargamers. So we have a thriving forum, which is equally thriving with the, 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 the Meg Forum and many other forums, but it's a really, really good forum. Lots of academics engage in this as well. So you get a lot of interesting um, intellectual property being displayed and spoken about on the, on the, on the Society of Ancients Forum. Also, it has the wonderful slingshots um, uh, six times a year periodical, which is a really powerful tool to encourage debate and research in uh, ancient uh, wargaming and warfare. Um, there's a, the standard of academic rigor in the articles, despite them being very publicly accessible in the way they are written, is fantastic. But it's also really well pr pr produced in this day and age as well. So it would sit very comfortably with alongside anything that you would find in a, an airport, 
uh, news agents or WH Smiths on your high street. Um, the society has these amazing tent peg events throughout the year as well, which encourage members and the public to come and see things to do with our hobby. Um, so, for example, uh, this year we have a virtual event uh, over two days uh, with two keynote spe speeches on the um, Saturday and on the Sunday. That's May the 22nd and 23rd. So that's our virtual event which we're organising, um, and the keynote speakers there are going to be talking about really, really cutting-edge research into the ancient world and ancient warfare and ancient wargaming. Then we have our battle day, which takes place in Newbury on the 15th of August, Sunday, where this year we'll have a, a, a lot of different games taking place with multiple players in each game, um, and all of it focused on one battle from history, and then all the players will write up their report through their own specific set of rules for how things went with them. And this year, the battle we're recreating uh, on multiple tables is going to be the Battle of Bosworth. Um, I volunteered for that, believe it or not. Well, there you go. That's fantastic. Well, I'll be seeing you there as El Presidente yeah. then. And then finally, we have our conference, which takes place on the 30th and 31st of October, which is at Maddingley in Cambridge, where again at the conference, this is face-to-face, um, 31st, 31st of, 30th, 31st of October, we'll, um, we'll have a variety of speeches and talks and games taking place on the Saturday and the Sunday. But in the evening, there's a dinner, a set-piece formal dinner for members where we'll have a, a leading keynote speaker as well, somebody famous from the world of history or wargaming or elsewhere as well. So there are those three tent peg events. There's Slingshot, there's the Forum, and then there's the wider attendance of the society at most wargame shows when we go back to, to meeting the public again, where again we'll be having the opportunity to meet people. So it's basically, it's like the front of shop, hopefully, for the ancient wargaming hobby to encourage people not only to participate, but new people of all ages and backgrounds to join. Cool. And ballpark, how many members are there in the world? Uh, I think, well, it's in the hundreds around the world. It's in the hundreds and it's around the world. It's truly global. That's the fantastic thing about the Society of Ancients. It's truly global. So a lot of my correspondence I get now as the president come from every continent apart from Antarctica. Wow. And because, you know, we, everyone likes a deal, I believe this, if you're a Society of Ancients member, you get discounts. There are discounts through being a member of the Society of Ancients to a wide variety of war game, the, the finest war game figure suppliers of war games, materials and rule suppliers from around the world. Fantastic. Right, buddy. Well, anyway, uh, my uh, final, final thing, uh, anything else that you want to just say to our listeners uh, about anything? What's coming up? What you're doing? Anything? Just free form. Tell me what's tell me what you want to say to them. Uh, for all your readers who like uh, enjoy biblical or early classical gaming, I I have a, a really powerful book coming out, which I'm very proud of. It's coming out in hardback for the first time on the 15th of May. Old Testament Warriors, which is a history of warfare from 9000 BC through to 500 BC, um, taking into account all of the great civilizations of the uh, biblical world, whether it's Sumerian, Akkadian, Mitanni. I look at the Hurrians and how I believe the Hurrians were the vector through which chariots appeared with a Marianu. I talk about the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Hebrew kingdoms, etc. It's a real tour de force. But crucially, what I do at the beginning of the book, Ray, because at the beginning of the book is meant to be the beginning of warfare, I come up with a definition of warfare, what warfare really is. And then I look at the first example of warfare being the starting point of conflict, how we can say warfare began. So the definition I come up with, with, uh, with, uh, with uh, it's fully described in the book, uh, it's an academic definition is basically warfare begins when you have a state engaging in war. Yeah. Yeah. And the first evidence I argue that was 
was the pre-pottery Neolithic A. So say that again, pre-pottery Neolithic A, first wall circuit of Jericho, which dates around 8,600 BC, which is over a kilometre long. It's two metres wide, three metres high, has an eight metre high tower. Sorry, five metres high, has an eight metre high tower integral to it. And within that wall, that tower, there is an integral stone built staircase. So somebody at 8,600 BC sat down on the mud shores of the Dead Sea with a stick and designed the world's first fortification, which I think is mind-blowing. It's all explained in the book. Wow. And you know what? Without wishing to blow smoke up your... uh backside um i tried to get that book in paperback and it's i couldn't bloody find it anywhere and now you're telling me i can get it in hardback coming soon absolutely yes in reprint it's 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 fully updated as well 15th of may brilliant i I literally i will pre-order it is it available for pre-order on all good book outlets now certainly is mate good (laughs) i will go and order it thank you very much always a pleasure i could listen to your voice all night and you did tell me that you'll start doing some audio books where you're reading your books. Can't wait. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're very kind, Ray. Thank you for having me on. All right, buddy. Cheers. Cheers, buddy.